Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer. And I'm not going to say Cat Swamp Road, but I just said it in Warren County, New Jersey. So thank you so much for spending the next one half hour with me. And you all know, we all know, that we get together here every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, and then again on Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. But this week, if you want to listen to this episode again, it'll be airing at 3 o'clock instead of the normal time of 6 o'clock because of one of the rodeos. Nothing better than that to be to be uh, superseded by, I guess, right? But then also, you could go to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com, and one week after it airs, it is there as a podcast. And exclusively, this show is heard on Rural Radio Sirius XM Channel 147. If I didn't already tell you that, right? You know where you're listening to, but I'm supposed to tell you that and where you are tuned into. So that is that. And hopefully things are going well for you. We're already into the middle of January, which is frightening how quickly time is flying. And uh, the farm show season is coming up. And I'm hoping to go to the uh, farm machinery show in Louisville, God willing. Hope to attend that for a few days this, this year and some other shows. I missed the Pennsylvania farm show or the key, and the Keystone farm show. They're I like the Keystone Farm Show better than the Pennsylvania Farm Show, but it's a little bit harder to get to. And I'm hoping to also go to the New York State Farm Show, which is usually a pretty good show, and maybe a couple of others. I do not know if I'm going to attend Commodity Classic this year or not. It's uh, up up in the air at this particular moment, so we'll have to see what, what happens. You know, coming from New Jersey and... Uh, it's often very difficult to get to these shows, especially that time of year, and uh, you know, with snow and with travel, and uh, and I'm sure that's that's the same thing for everybody because where those farm shows are, for instance, this year Commodity Classic, I believe, is in in uh, Florida. So, unless you happen to live in Florida or Georgia or down in that neck of the woods, it's going to be a little bit of a burden for you to get there. But just with doing the radio shows, the podcast, the writing, and then the um, travel conditions, lots of times you have to choose your poison like anything in life. And even though I'd love to go to all of them, I'll see. But hopefully I'll hit a little bit more. I would love to hit the Tulare farm show out in California that's been on my bucket list of things to do for a number of years now and I don't know if that will happen this year but God willing maybe one year it will happen and that is that and on today's episode what we're going to be talking about is heater performance and heater performance whether it's in your truck or your car or a cab of your tractor or what have you uh, I don't think we'd be in the combine right now because almost like everybody is done harvesting or so I believe that they are, but it makes no difference. So when I'm going to be talking about heater performance, it's not meant to be heater performance in your farm shop or your house. So we need to get those heaters to work very efficiently, especially in parts of the United States, western and northern parts of the United States and parts of Canada where it gets quite, quite cold and you need to be able to have that performance there, right? Because we are performance-driven. We are hot rod farmers. So why don't you just sit pat during the short commercial break and remember that agriculture runs on machinery, but profits on reliability. And we'll get that sucker blowing hot right after this. 
I've been talking about being an entrepreneur literally since I was 10. Sirius XM's Business Radio. Inspiration to help you achieve more in business. Be creative, be tenacious, be decisive. Just do it. From finding a work-life balance to motivational stories from entrepreneurs big and small. You learn something in the successes and a lot from the failures. It's always worth it. Business Radio. Powered by the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. Sirius XM 132. The San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo is really cool, obviously because of the beautiful AT&T Center, but really the city of San Antonio is so unique and special to Texas. From the Riverwalk and all the culture, it's just a really cool place to hang out and really experience rodeo in a big way. It's one of the biggest ones of the year. San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo, positioned in that historic city of San Antonio, um, it is truly one of the highlights every year for everybody who has a chance to be a part of it. You know, San Antonio Stock Show is one of those places where it feels like a major league sporting event because all the volunteers and all the hard work and the Cowboys and the Bucking Stock make it a major league sporting event. San Antonio to me is one of the most classic pro rodeos in the Texas Tour. It's got a great tournament style competition, a lot of money up for rodeo competitors, and it really does have that old school Texas rodeo flair. 2022's champions have been crowned. 2023 begins with the Texas Tour. It all starts with the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo. Starting mid-January, straight through championship Saturday in February. The tour continues in Southern Texas at the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo. Rodeo Houston picks up in March, along with Rodeo Austin. The tour comes to an end during the final nights of the San Angelo Stock Show and Rodeo in April. Only on the Cowboy Channel and the Cowboy Channel Plus app. Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. And if you missed the opening segment, what I'm going to be discussing today is heater performance in your truck, your car, your farm tractor, not in your house or your farm shop, even though that's important also. But I want you to think about the heater and thus the heater performance, what we call the discharge, the duct discharge temperature in those applications. And you need, and if there's a problem with it, where the temperature is not that hot, then you need to look backwards and you need to look at it foundationally. There's so many times in life that we miss the foundation because we jump to the gun. So now the first thing that you must recognize, it's simplistic, is that the source of the heat is the coolant inside the engine. That's, that's so the engine is the heat source so if you would if it was a boiler in a building it would be the boiler so the engine is the boiler so the coolant that is going through the engine is going to be put through the heater core which is nothing more than a heat exchanger and there's going to be a fan and the fan is going to blow air across this heater core and the heat exchanger is going to give up the heat into the air and thus blow into the passenger compartment of the of whatever vehicle or piece of equipment it is all right very simplistic so the first thing you need to recognize is that the liquid temperature of the coolant in the engine is is foundational to the discharge temperature if the engine is not if the coolant is not getting hot then 
you're not going to be able to have much of a delta T, delta in temperature, change in temperature across the heater core, and it will result in a very low discharge temperature through the ducts, and whether the ducts is the air, the uh, defroster ducts or the heater ducts on the, on the floor of the vehicle, it makes no difference. Okay, so now let's just do a little bit tutorial on that. What you need to understand is that for you to check the heater performance, you have to first confirm the liquid temperature of the engine. So if you have a temperature gauge in that application, you want to look at that. And also your your practical experience comes into play. If you say, well, this, this engine always runs around 210 degrees and now it's running 160, 170, well, then we obviously have an issue which I will discuss. Now, if it doesn't have a temperature gauge, or even if it does, it would be a very good diagnostic protocol for you to use a non-contact thermometer and get access to the engine. Like I said, we, this show is broad-based. It could be a tractor, it could be a semi, it could be a pickup truck, right? And anything in between, it could be a UTV with a heater. And use a non-contact thermometer and identify on the engine more or less where the thermostat is and sort of water passages through the cylinder head and the block, and then take a reading there with the non-contact thermometer. Now, keep in mind is that it's going to be slightly different than it would be the actual liquid temperature. But, for instance, if the liquid temperature is reading 160 on the gauge inside the, the vehicle, and you're reading and you're reading 130 or 140 with the non-contact thermometer, that's more or less accurate. All right, so there's going to be a slight differential because you're reading it exterior. There's heat transfer through the metal or the aluminum or what have you. So we need to confirm the liquid temperature of the engine. We also need to confirm whether the heater performance or lack thereof changes and cycles back and forth between hot and cold. So if you have if you have a you put the heater on and it's nice and hot, and all of a sudden it starts to blow cold and i mean all of a sudden maybe a mile or so down the road maybe you may be working in the field you may be feeding cows there's not a metric that i could use and say miles or time but cycles back and forth between hot and cold and sometimes may you may be able to see that on the temperature gauge but a lot of applications you may not be able to see that especially newer ones and for the simple reason being, you say, why can I see that hot rod if the temperature is dropping? It's because a lot of modern gauges are dampened, that they uh, they have a, a delayed response, and they have a dampened response. So the consumer, it's a consumer-oriented world today, and most people have no idea what they're looking at, so they dampen the response. So if the temperature is dropping, tw- varying 20 or 30 degrees on the coolant, all right, where it's swinging hotter and colder, or cooler, I should say, you may not see that on the gauge on a modern application. So specifically, like my Ford Fiesta has a little bar graph. So, I mean, what's one bar? It doesn't tell you. I mean, so it's not within the range of one bar if that if that were to be happening. Now, if you have a temperature swing, so the heater blows hot and blows cold, blows hot and blows cold, independently of the gauge reading, then that is historically one of two problems right that the system is either bound with air it has air in it so it's not a solid mass of liquid coolant going through the engine and thus the heater core or the thermostat itself in the engine is starting to fail and is cycling open and closed so that is something to keep in mind now 
you would be able to confirm that then underneath the hood with the non-contact thermometer with the with the temperature reading then again i'm repeating it's going to be dampened and slower because of the the metal the sound that has already absorbed the heat but that is what you need to keep in mind now very very common for a piece of equipment that over use during the warm weather or the summer has pushed out some coolant and it's sucked in some air and then once you start to put the coolant through the heater core and ask a demand on it and the temperature gauge itself is is dampened as i was saying so you don't really see this during the warmer weather that you have this swing in hot to cold all right the other thing let's go to a road vehicle is that most newer ve- well i should say i use the term newer because everything <laughs> because everything to me is newer right but over the past 35 or 40 years they did not use heater control valves on lots of applications what a heater control valve does when you move the temperature selector inside the vehicle it's going to control how much of the coolant is the volume of the coolant is going through the heater core so if you move it to cold or cool whatever the the identifier is then it's going to be less hot water go hot hot coolant i should say not water going through to the heater core and then in the summertime you have it all the way over to the left right and it's shutting that valve completely off so there's no coolant going into the heater core well and likewise if you move it over to the right then it would be full flow of of coolant through the heater core so a couple of things to keep in mind that you need to go out underneath the hood and you need to put the control to hot complete hot and you need to be tactile and this also works for you know an airbound system so you want to grab the two heater hoses one heater hose is going into the into the uh heater core the other one is coming back out so it's a it's a loop system and those hoses should be more or less the same temperature if you feel that the hose is not is the hoses are not even as far as their temperature is concerned and the system has a heater control valve you have to become familiar with what every heater in your equipment and your trucks and cars works with on a road vehicle probably the past 40 years you'll have nothing but eh, 30 years heater control valves all right so on farm equipment you may have a heater control valve or you may not so you may say to yourself well how do they control it if there's no heater control valve well what they have is what is called a blend air system where when you actually move the temperature control you are moving a set of doors underneath the dashboard whether it's on a tractor or whether it's a truck or a car so that is called a blend air system and if those doors are stuck or not functioning properly or the system has a vacuum leak because it's you know there's like i said that's what i'm repeating it you have to become familiar because because there's there's so many different variations on the same designs you may have a blend air system that actually has a cable that's beat that operates and moves the door or you may have a blend air system that uses engine vacuum to move the door but when you change the temperature or change the position of the discharge air on a blend air system you're moving doors you're moving ducts all right so now on a blend air system if you're not getting the door to close fully then and as as far as the 
the uh, introduction of the air across the heater core because first it has to have that heat exchange of air. Then it's going to decide whether it's going to, to the ground, to your feet, or to the defroster ducts, but first has to be heated. Then you need to look at those blend air doors. You may consider it has a vacuum leak on it. If it's cable operated, the cable may be sticking or may be stretched or on a piece of farm equipment. I've seen it where you've actually gotten a mouse nest in the blend air door. And then uh, the, 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 the door is trying to close against the mouse nest and it can't close. And so you have a lack of discharge temperature. Very, very important. So going to recap quickly before we move on is that if you have temperature fluctuations from hot to cold, all right, then historically that is usually a system that is airbound or thermostat is starting to fail. Now, what's the next thing I want to bring up is that if you have a blend air door system on a road vehicle, I'm not saying on a farm tractor, right, a road vehicle and it uses vacuum and you cl- and the heater is working perfectly, discharge temperature is like a blast furnace, all right, you could melt steel with it and now you climb a hill, you climb a grade and all of a sudden what happens is the temperature drops down from hot to cold or to cool and the direction of the air changes let's say from the from the floor vents as a heater and goes to the defroster or vice versa it comes out it changes direction from where you have it identified that you want it to discharge then historically that is a vacuum leak there is a vacuum canister usually someplace underneath the dashboard and they're historically a nightmare to get to and they have a check valve on them and there's a check valve someplace in line, possibly. And what happens is when you climb the hill on a road vehicle, and specifically on a gasoline engine, but if it's a, like a diesel pickup truck, it's going to work the same way. What it'll do is that the vacuum check valve is supposed to close and not allow the vacuum to bleed back out into the engine and then keep the heater doors and temperature in the right location. And then if that valve is leaking and there's a drop in engine vacuum, because when you climb a hill and you open the throttle further, there is a drop in vacuum. The vacuum is bleeding off and the door is changing position. Same thing happens during the somewhat air conditioning. You could have the air conditioner on and then you go to climb a hill and all of a sudden it's blowing all on the floor or blowing in the defroster ducts. So it's something to keep in mind, right? It gets back to familiarity, but the engine is the heat source. Another thing I want to touch on, which I should have touched on in the beginning, was that keep in mind that the temperature rating of the thermostat, the liquid thermostat on an engine, is what's called its pop-open rating. That's when it starts to open and flow coolant back to the radiator. So if it's a 180 thermostat, it opens up it it starts to crack open, I should say, at 180. It's not full flow. It needs, but, but depending upon the design, that needs between 10 and 20 degrees Fahrenheit, more liquid temperature for it to get full flow. So then again, if you have a thermostat that the spring is weak and it's opening prematurely, then even though it's it may be cracking open at 160 or 170, so that's something that you need to keep in mind. And that's why we say to confirm the temperature with the non-contact thermometer, the infrared gun. All right, so we discussed that. You want to feel the heater hoses. <clears throat> you always need to confirm things. 
because with you being with you feeling the discharge temperature well it's cold it's 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 not blowing hot well it may be because the engine is not getting hot enough or it may be the engine is getting hot enough but it's not sending it through the heater core you could have a blocked heater core if you ever put some sort of stop leak in this in the cooling system it's a very good chance that you have a blocked heater core that it actually congealed and act as an insulator and diminished the heat transfer heat transfer capabilities. Now, another thing, if you have an older piece of farm equipment and it has a lot of scale in it, has a lot of scale in the heating system, in the cooling system for the block, the heater core, the radiator, keep in mind is that you will not be transferring the heat from that engine, from that cylinder head, from that combustion chamber, from that engine block into the liquid, all right? So now that really is where you get tricked because the engine appears like it's running colder because of the low liquid temperature, but the liquid temperature, remember the job of the coolant is to remove heat from the engine and the job of the radiator is to remove heat from the coolant. That's why it's called the heat exchanger. So if you have a lot of insulation and the insulation being that you have a lot of corrosion and rust in the system in scale, then that means that the metal surface temperature of the cylinder head, the bores of the block are actually going to be much hotter than they're supposed to be, but you will be tricked because you are looking at the liquid temperature and says, well, the liquid temperature isn't getting that high. So in essence, it would be like having tie-up of a nutrient in a crop where uh, tie-up in the soil. So you say, well, I have the nitrogen, I have the phosphorus, I have the potassium, but I do a tissue t- test and the plant is, 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 is starving to death here. Well, so that's why it's so important to maintain your cooling system. But the most common problems that you will find today in heating systems is number one, that the system is airbound and it's not solid, a solid flow of liquid. It has air pockets and when it hits an air pocket, the temperature drops down and when the coolant moves away from the air pocket and it becomes reintroduced that the temperature spikes up. So that's very, very common. You need to bleed the system. How do you bleed the system? You run the engine with the with the fill point open. There's many different fill points, different applications. The fill point is always the highest part of the cooling system that has the ability to be opened. All right, you run the engine at idle or fast idle, whatever you choose to do with the heater on full, means full temperature at one or two, it doesn't have to be the highest fan speed, it could be first or second hand fan speed, and you keep filling up the system and let it expand and push all the bubbles out and because if it has air in there, it could be air bound, and then it's going to be sending air into the heater core, and you're going to have a lot of fluctuation in discharge temperature. Now, keep in mind that most modern engines run at about 200, 210, 220, 230 degrees. They run hot for, I'm saying they run hot for emission standards, right? So the thing is that there is no reason you should have such wonderful heat coming out of that heater that discharge temperature, whether it's the frosted duct or the heater, because you're putting 200-something degree coolant in it. But these little simple things will make a big difference and on the discharge temperature, and specifically if you have a blend air door that is stuck closed, or stuck open, I should say.
This is when you have the competitive edge for finding wildlife. I'm Scott Linden, out and about looking for critters. The best news is this time of year, your alarm doesn't need to go off quite as early. Whether you're scouting for next season or introducing family to wildlife watching, the edges of the day are ideal times to spy on the residents of our woods, deserts, and mountains. Most wild land dwellers feel safer, especially from humans, under cover of darkness, so they'll move out to feed only after sundown. Predators are active at night because their prey is. So set your alarm for O-Dark 30, which is a little later now, or take a flashlight and stay a little bit past dusk. We're brought to you in part by HappyJackInc.com, available at Tractor Supply. With industry-leading premiums, several delivery windows, and zero basis contracts, your opportunity to profit with Benson Hill high-protein, non-GMO soybeans has never been better. Some Benson Hill soybean varieties are higher in protein right out of the ground, contributing to more sustainable food manufacturing. The majority of farmers in our program earn more per acre planting Benson Hill soybeans than commodity beans. Lock in your best premium on 2023 contracts while acres are still available. Visit BensonHillFarmers.com to earn more. Listen, farming is all about appreciating the simple things in life. So why make it complicated? I'm Rob Sharkey of Shark Farmer Radio, and I just want to cut down the confusion and delve deeper and deeper into the tangled controversies within the farming world. There's so much to learn from the great people of agriculture. So forget the nonsense and let's get back to the basics on Shark Farmer Radio, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio 147 on Sirius XM. Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. If you have any questions, or go, I went over it quickly as always. Please feel free to reach out to me at Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com. A couple of quick things before you meet me in the farm shop. Number one, keep in mind that if you have more than a 50-50 concentrate of some sort of glycol in water, that the coolant's ability to be a sponge is going to is going to diminish, and you will not have good heater performance simply because the high concentration of glycol is not allowing it to absorb heat from the engine. So then again, the engine, the metal surface temperature of the engine will be hot, but you will have a lower liquid temperature. So keep that in mind. And the other thing, basically, also, if that if you have a failing radiator cap, and depending upon the thermostat location, all right, and you have enough pressure from the radiator cap that the lower hose has the propensity to collapse and when it collapses it is going to diminish coolant flow through the engine and thus the heater so now we're going to get together with Tex Rubinowitz here come on in buddy All right, Tex, thank you so much. What we're going to talk about now is a battery vent. Every wet cell battery gases when being charged and under normal use. Thus, it is designed to have a vent system for the cells. If the vents are in the wrong place for your application, the battery terminals will have a propensity to build acid on the connections. The gas that the vent exhausts is the electrolyte in a rarefied form. If the vents are in the proper location and the battery likes to build corrosion, then it most likely has a minute and unseen crack in the case. So just keep that in mind. 
mind, all right? And uh, that you need to, uh, then again, look at things, see what's going on. If you buy an aftermarket battery and the vent is in a long, wrong location, it will gas badly. All right, I want to thank you so much for tuning in, and I want you to know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved America. You have a blessed day. I want those heaters f- f- frying eggs on them, buddy. Okay, bye-bye. Catch you next week. Hi, everybody. This is Matt Breckwald, farmer and former police officer with a rural crime prevention tip just for you. Did you know that law enforcement in the United States only solve about one out of every five cases they receive when there's no information about who the suspect is? Think about that. 80% of the time, the bad guy gets away with the crime because they have remained unidentified. This is why it is so important to call the authorities when you see somebody or somebody's vehicle that is suspicious to you. The sooner you call, the sooner a deputy can start driving towards the area. And the sooner they start towards the area, the better the chance that that person or vehicle will still be there when they arrive. Even though this is essential to solving crimes and identifying suspicious people, citizens are still very hesitant to call the authorities. When asked why they did not call, most people will say that they didn't think it was important enough, they thought somebody else would call for them, or they were worried that somebody else might need more help and not receive it because law enforcement was investigating their call. I want to encourage you to make the call the moment you start asking yourself whether or not you should. Think about it. How often do you really consider calling law enforcement? Probably almost never. So if that thought is present, it is in your mind for a reason. Trust your gut and make the call. You are not wasting anybody's time and nobody with a bigger emergency is going to go without assistance because of your call. Dispatchers and deputies are both well-trained in prioritizing calls. If a higher priority call comes in while they are heading towards your place, they will quickly turn around and head towards the emergency. A lot of criminals get away because people spend valuable time debating over whether or not to make the call. The next time you think you should call law enforcement, dial the number. Your intuition is telling you something that you should listen to. Hear full rural crime episodes of the Off-Farm Income Podcast every Saturday anywhere podcasts are found and enjoy our six-week weekly episodes about the FFA and small business in ag.